Good morning, everyone. Before I start the sermon today, I have a bit of a presentation for you. Um, if you remember, last month we celebrated our 10th year anniversary here at Calvary. But back in March, we actually had this all planned. I think it was March 22nd or 29th, something like that. We had a plan to recognize another milestone here at the church. And that obviously got thrown out the window at that time. But we wanted to make sure we kept it so people could actually be here together to recognize it with us and to thank uh, these people for their faithful service here at Calvary. And actually, they're our longest tenured employees here at the church. And so um, Armando and Beth Salas started at uh, 25 years ago this last March here at Calvary, serving as our on our... Uh, as our custodians, why don't you stand up so people know who you are. <laughs> and I've got a card for you, but I'm going to give it to you in the second service, all right? So if you have not got a chance to sign this card from a few months back, you can come and sign this after the service as well. But thank you for your faithful service to, to the family here and to Christ, of course, most of all. So thank you. Yeah. you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to come to your word now and to submit ourselves under its authority. Um, Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us as we hear and listen to your words today, um, that our hearts would be convicted and encouraged and changed this morning because of what we hear. We know we need your Spirit's help for this, so please come and speak to us now and guide us into your truth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever played a part in building a house before. The most I ever did was I spent a summer doing drywall work with my grandfather. But really, if you think about building a house, there are so many different aspects that go into building a modern-day house. From making the floor plans and grading the lot and pouring a foundation, building floors and framing walls, the roofing and electrical work, plumbing, HVAC, sheetrocking, mudding, painting, flooring, doors and windows, appliances, landscaping, inspecting, and decorating. Like, it's really all rather impressive when you think of all that goes in to building a house. But there is one ingredient that I believe is often extremely overlooked in our building efforts. It's not a missing ingredient, as the building would never even happen without it. It's overlooked, unnoticed, ignored, or vastly underappreciated. And that is God's heavy involvement in it all. From the initial creation of resources to the final coat of paint, he is sovereignly active. And we overlook this to our great detriment, believe it or not. And I'm not really just talking about building a house. God is intricately involved in all of life. And recognizing God's involvement in our everyday life should give great meaning to whatever we do. 
as well as help us establish healthier boundaries in life and protect us from idolatry. It should lead to greater worship, greater gratitude, greater trust, and greater peace when we really see how God is at work. So, if you would, let's open up God's Word together to Psalm 127, where I think we'll clearly see this. Psalm 127. We're back in the Psalms today as we committed to studying a psalm each month of 2020. So this is August's psalm. And then we will learn a new song based on this psalm. So, Psalm 127 is a, a short psalm consisting of five verses. It's one of only two psalms believed to be written by King Solomon, David's son, arguably the wisest man to ever live. It was written as a song, but not surprisingly, it's, it's what no, is known as a psalm of wisdom, because it was written seeking to teach those who sing it wisdom and knowledge. Psalm 127 addresses a number of everyday, earthy things. And I want you to notice that its main topics as we go through are things that tend to cause us a lot of stress and anxiety in life. Houses, homes, security, safety, work, rest, family, and children. Like these are, are what one writer calls some of our most universal preoccupations. Well, we wonder, like, what is the, the value in these things? What do they all amount to? How should we think about them? How do we honor the Lord with these things in our life? And the first verse may sound very familiar to you. You may even have it memorized. Look at it with me. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, there is a huge claim that I think Solomon is making here, really making through this song as a whole, something massive that he wants to teach anyone who hears it and sings it. Something that can radically affect your everyday life if you let it. Okay? Here it is. That everything in our lives depends not on our labors, but on the Lord's love. All right? Everything in our life, everything in your life and in my life, depends most deeply on the Lord's love, not on our labors. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And we have a natural tendency to take credit for the things that we do in life, right? From our earliest days in school, we're taught to write our names on our work. Right? Even in university, you're told to put your name on your title page. Credits roll at the end of each movie. About the author is it found in every book. Realtors put their faces on the properties they sell. Photographers use watermarks. Like, if you think about it, there really is hardly any kind of anonymous work these days. But there is someone, we believe, who is at work behind every human worker, no matter the field. A capital C creator behind every human creator. Now, you may think, but 
when we build a house, we're actually building a house, right? Like, our work, our labor is not an illusion or a figment of our imagination. And that's true. Like, we do labor in various ways in reality in life. In terms of this psalm, people act, do play active parts in building a house, guarding a city, working hard at jobs, raising a family. So, in one sense, is it true that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain? Well, it's the ultimate sense, right? God wants us to work and to work hard in life. But, and this is crucial to grasp, if God doesn't want our work to succeed, it won't succeed. Right? There is no true success, no true security, no true satisfaction without God allowing it. There's no ultimate value, no ultimate worth, no ultimate point without him. It's also true that we could not do any kind of human work whatsoever without his prior work. Because, I think about it, on one level, we only use materials that he has created and supplied. Right? By faith, we believe that God created the universe, everything in it, out of nothing. But us, on the other hand, everything we create as sub-creators is made from recycled material. Our lumber and metals and papers and technologies and foods and fabrics and tools all come from something that we did not originally create. And yet on another level, we are using bodies and hands and minds that God originally gave us and using skills and imaginations and strength and passions that God blessed us with. Like, I think it's okay that we do take some credit for what we do in life, but it should be minuscule compared to the credit God deserves for everything. So, how much are we deflecting the praise back to him, I wonder? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. We don't understand everything about how God's sovereignty and power interacts with our human responsibility and efforts, but it is clear here, and really it's clear everywhere in Scripture, that ultimately our lives depend not on our labors, but on the Lord's love. We have roles to play, but he has far bigger roles. So, let's consider the super applicable areas this psalm focuses on as examples of this truth, all right? The first one you can see right there in the beginning of verse 1. So everything in our lives depends not on our labors, but on the Lord's love, such as our homes. Yeah, our homes. Our, our homes totally depend on the Lord's loving power and provision. Verse 1 is talking about physical Houses, okay? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. What does he mean by in vain? Well, if, if God does not build a house, Solomon says that it won't be built at all. Or even if it is built, it'll be totally pointless or wasted. 
vain. That's that's what it means there. I think this verse implies that our physical work matters to God. It's been, if our physical work, what we do, has been useful or valuable or successful at all, he had to have been involved in it. And I'm not only talking to, to architects and builders and construction workers. Any kind of physical work you do in life, from school to manual labor to a desk job, can have value if the Lord is in it. And we can do all work, all moral good work, for God's glory. For those of you who are homeowners, you know the anxious burden our homes can be, even after they're built. Right? How much money and maintenance and repairs they require. And how we can spend countless hours cleaning and tidying and improving and decorating and landscaping and remodeling and, and shopping for our homes. Even if you don't own your own place, like we can still spend a lot of effort and money on where we live. It takes a lot of work just to live in our physical dwelling places. So, do we want all of that to be wasted? If not, then we better get this through our heads. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Like if you have a home, it's because of the Lord. If you have the means to fix up your home, it's because of the Lord. If, you have, if your home stays standing through a windstorm, because of the Lord. We need to spend a lot less time and energy worrying about our homes and more time thanking God for them and using them for his glory. I think it all comes from him. It's all his anyway, so we should offer them back to him. Like, ponder today. Just think what it would look like to use wherever you live as a place to glorify God. I know you're limited these days, but in general, like, for hospitality, for compassion, for evangelism, just faithfulness to the Lord, how can we use our homes to glorify Him? Whatever we can do, though, the point of this psalm isn't about what we can do but about what we need God to do. We are totally dependent on him. And the second half of verse 1, it moves from the work of creating to conserving. It says, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now this shows that we are dependent on the Lord's love, not our labors, for our safety and security. Our safety and security. In ancient times, people didn't really have national security systems. They had city security systems. Like cities were generally on their own for defending themselves from raiders or enemy armies, hence why they built walls around the cities and why they had watchmen stand guard on the walls to raise alarms if necessary. Now, we don't tend to rely on many watchmen today, human ones at least. And we use quite a bit of tools and technology to watch for us. 
Right? On, a, on a national level, of course, we have all kinds of, of lines of defense against attacks. But on a personal level, just think of how much goes into our own safety and security. We have locks and keys, smart doorbells, security cameras, home alarm systems, car alarms, smoke detectors, safes, firearms, mace, bike locks, passwords on everything technological, firewalls, VPNs, antivirus software, as well as just about every form of insurance policy imaginable, okay? Home insurance, auto insurance, mortgage insurance, life insurance, health insurance, long-term disability insurance, liability insurance, travel insurance, pet insurance, identity theft protection, like the list goes on. Like we are obsessed with safety and security in our world. Because this world is generally unsafe and insecure. And we wish it weren't so. But we delude ourselves into thinking that we can protect ourselves entirely. Under King David and King Solomon, Israel was at the peak of their national power. They had the greatest wealth, the largest military, the, the safest borders. And yet Solomon says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Like if God's not watching over us, our sentries might as well take a nap. In other words, we have no safety or security in this life without God. I was reminded of this truth in a powerful way earlier this summer. On Canada Day, actually, I had been in here doing a little bit of work at the church, and when I left to go home, I was very distracted for some reason as I left. And anyway, a few hours later, as I was getting ready for bed, I had this thought, did I lock the door to the church? And I thought... Did I set the alarm for the church? <laughs> did I do either one? I don't know if I did. And, and on top of this, we had just recently bought some pretty new expensive equipment here for the church. So my mind goes into overdrive, thinking like it's Canada Day of all days. Like, like one of the top days for troublemakers to be out and about in the middle of the night. And like, I had made plenty of mistakes in my life. I never made a multi-thousand dollar careless mistake before. And so I was, I had got, I slept barely a wink that night. Turns out I was right. It, I hadn't locked up. I hadn't set the alarm. Though everything ended up being totally fine. But here's where God got me. On the way in, before I knew that, on the way into church, I was playing some music on shuffle on my phone. And a song came on randomly, or more providentially. The song we're actually going to teach you today that quotes Psalm 127. Like, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city. Might as well have said the church building. The watchman stays awake in vain. The security systems are worthless without the Lord. Like, I was instantly super convicted about my anxiety and super encouraged. Like, the Lord knows. The Lord cares. 
and he watches over us. Like if he had wanted to have us be robbed, it would have happened. Or vice versa. If he isn't watching over us, all our efforts at safety and security would be worthless. If God didn't care about us, like something we do today would probably kill us. Yeah, you, our car would crash, our house would burn down, we'd choke on some food, our health would give way, something. Now, don't get me wrong. He loves us even when those things happen. But like the fact that these don't happen all the time, every day, speaks to his providential love. We might think here, so if our working and our watching is pointless without God, does that mean that we should be lazy or complacent about these things? And no. As Charles Spurgeon explained this way, he said, note that the psalmist does not bid the builder cease from laboring, nor suggest that watchmen should neglect their duty, not that men should show their trust in God by doing nothing. Nay, he supposes that they will do all that they can, and then he forbids their fixing their trust in what they have done. Happy is the man who hits the golden mean by so working as to believe in God, and so believing in God as to work without fear. It really is a matter of trust and faith. Like, think about it. We see this verse and we think, well, we wonder how we can make sure this is true of us because we can't force God to be involved in our work as if we are hiring a contractor or a security guard. It doesn't work that way. Basically, the, the only things we can do are work anyway, pray hard, and trust God. Work, work anyway, pray hard, and trust God. Like, ask yourself, what characterizes your daily life more? Constant worry about your work, your safety, and your security, or a calm trust that God is going to take care of you. Another reaction we may have at this point is to think, well, if, if these pursuits of creating and conserving are so precarious, then we should work all the harder, right? We should, I need to put more hours in so I can afford that better house and the more security and the broader insurance. But no, working harder is no guarantee of anything and may, in fact, only make things worse for you. Let's see how Solomon continues. He goes, okay, without the Lord, laboring is in vain. Staying awake to keep watch is in vain. And now, verse 2, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So what do we learn here? Again, everything in our lives depends not on our labors, but on the Lord's love, including our work and rest. Our daily habits of, of working and resting, it is in vain 
that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Now, this seems a little bit different from advice that Solomon gives elsewhere. Like if you think through Proverbs, for instance, Proverbs 6 says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Throughout the book of Proverbs, like diligence is extolled as a great virtue. Such as in 13.4, it says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. We assume, then, that getting up early and diligently working, even deep into the night, is good inherently. But not necessarily. Not if. We're working so hard to depend on ourselves. And not if we're working hard out of greed or self-sufficiency or restless anxiety. All our labors are worthless if the Lord is not in them. And, And I believe that The Lord is not in efforts that ignore his good gift of rest. It's as simple as that. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. That phrase, eating the bread of anxious toil, in Hebrew, is almost an exact quote of the curse that God lays on man in Genesis 3. You're going to eat the bread of your toil. Like the fact that, that we have to work so hard in order even to eat is part of the curse. It's not something to be celebrated or pursued wholeheartedly. Now listen, laziness is sin, okay? But so is workaholism. Tim Keller puts it this way. Prosperity and security are not ultimately your accomplishments, but God's gifts. So, overwork, worry, and strain are foolish and wrong. If you are overworked and overstressed, you are forgetting who God is. Jesus said it most bluntly, apart from me, you can do nothing. God's word is clear. Like If you think he rested after his creative work as a pattern for us. And that the rest, both Sabbath rest and rest in general, are gifts from him out of love. Like when we work incessantly, burning the candle at both ends, as it were, we don't just miss out on his gift, we spurn his gift. This is why this says work without rest is in vain. It's pointless. It's foolish. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Because sleep is this precious gift from God to his beloved people. So whether we're students struggling with a heavy schedule or workers trying to make ends meet, sometimes we think we can't afford to sleep when really we can't afford not to sleep. God gives us rest for a reason. He knows we need it. 
and he cares about us. You might wonder, so, if I'm not sleeping well, does that mean I'm not loved by God? And no, that's not what this is saying at all. It's just saying sleep is a gift. And to neglect sleep for the sake of anxious work is stupid. We know that with all blessings that God gives, God gives in varying measure between people and between seasons. That's okay. So sleeplessness is not evidence of him not loving us, but we are dependent on his love to get the sleep we need. If you are unsure if you're loved by God today, I, I'd urge you actually to look beyond this passage. Look to the, look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because that was the eternal proof of God's love for sinners like you and me. And for the Son of God to forego what the Bible actually talks about as the rest and the glory of heaven for his gospel work on earth, living a hard life, suffering a brutal death before rising again, proves his love once and for all. If you have, put your trust in Jesus to be your savior from sin and hell, right, then according to God's word, you are one of God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Beloved. If you haven't yet, staked your life on Jesus. You can do so today. I hope you will. And not just to get better rest, to receive the grace of God himself. Hey, we are dependent on him for everything we need, whether we recognize it or not. But what we need more than anything is God himself. And he gives us himself in Jesus. So look to him. When we believe the gospel, I believe that's really what frees us up to truly rest well in God's love. One of the best things that comes out of proper rest is a reminder that we are not God. Right? Sabbath rest, even just sleep, nightly sleep, is practicing not being God. And it's also an expression of our contentment with whatever the Lord gives us. Do you, do you trust that he loves you? Then work hard, and rest easy. Sleep well, because God is not asleep. The final three verses of Psalm 127 are about building a home in another sense, about building a family. This one might sting a little bit because this is something that we tend to really put on ourselves. But everything in our lives depends not on our labors, but on the Lord's love, including what I believe we'll see here is our offspring. Our kids, our children, our, our grandkids, we are dependent on the Lord's love for them. Look with me, starting in verse 3 says, Behold, look, 
Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb of reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Essentially here, we got children are a heritage, a gift, a, a reward, and a blessing. And more importantly, they are all of this from the Lord. Yeah, they're from the Lord. Yes, they're a fruit of our wombs, but we don't create the miracle of human life. God does. Now, before I get into what this means for parents and children, let me first say a word to our singles who long to be married and building a family, and to our couples who either haven't been able to or can't have kids. First, God loves you no less now than if you had a dozen kids. Okay, this does not say that you are cursed by God. Okay, that's not true. And I know that not having kids right now can be extremely painful. It's a painful journey. But at the same time, I think you can actually attest to the truth of this passage, perhaps better than most. Because you know that children are a blessing, and that's why it hurts not having them. I'm not going to offer you cheap comfort or hope today, but I will encourage you to take the message of Psalm 127 to heart. Okay? Because it can apply to you too. To recognize that how dependence on the Lord you are in this matter. And to, to trust him with your future childbearing or lack thereof. Like that's a lesson all of us adults need to learn, right? That God is sovereign over our family planning. I wonder, are our actions, whether we're trying to have kids or not trying to have kids, hoping for kids, not hoping to have kids, are our actions demonstrating that we trust him? All right, kids, listen up. This is your part. Okay, whether or not your parents recognize it or treat you like it. Okay, I want to tell you this. From God's word, you are a blessing. Okay, God gifted you with life and God gifted others with you. Verse 3, behold, children are a heritage or a gift from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. God put you, kids, in the family that he put you in for a reason. So be thankful for your family, and because God loves you, do your best to love them. And parents, all right, this is really especially written for us, we have 
got to recapture God's vision for our children over our cultures. Because our world sees kids really in two contradictory ways. Okay, if you think of how people view children in our world, our world sees kids, sometimes we treat kids as gods, right? We, we center our lives, our worlds around them. And on the other hand, we often treat kids as burdens rather than blessings. This is why many people want very few kids if they want any at all. Going deeper, this is why abortion seems to be a viable option for so many in our culture, because it's a burden, not a blessing. So we see kids as, as gods or as burdens or both, but both of these views should not be held by Bible-believing Christians. And we recognize that children are gifts from God. They are not gods themselves. And they need to really understand that too. Life doesn't revolve around them. And on the other hand, we recognize that children are a blessing, not a burden. Now, I, I sure, taking care of kids and raising them can be really hard at times. And there are plenty of days that they don't feel very blessing-like. So it's on those days that we really need to remind ourselves, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. When it says that children are a reward, it could be referring to the creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply, like it's a reward for obeying that. But kids are not just a fruit of obedience. They are more so a pure gift of grace. So let's not get entitled to them. Right? Think that you produce them yourself. God gave you a gift. And so whenever... The gift is given. And that really goes for everyone. Whenever that gift of life is given around us, every day, let's praise and thank God for the gift. But this is a gift we tend to worry a lot about, don't we? When they're infants and, and toddlers... We fret over their health and their well-being and safety. Then we start wondering if we're parenting them well enough or the right way. We worry about school choices, discipline, eating habits, dental work, <laughs> screen time. And then if you love the Lord, you definitely worry about whether your children will love him. As they get older, we worry about providing for them still or paying for their education. And we, even when they're adults, I've been told that you never sleep the same way again. Right? You'll wake up in the middle of the night wondering if your kids are all right. This psalm should help shape almost every area of parenting because we are not sovereign over our children. God is. Like he gave them to us for a season, 
as a gift. We're called to raise them in the training and instruction of the Lord, but we cannot control how our children ultimately turn out. Neither can we keep them healthy or safe from everything. Therefore, we don't need to try to be God in their lives. We need to point them to God. We don't need to be what's called helicopter parents. Be over-involved or over-protective or try to control them. Train them, yes. Control them, no. And most of all, we don't need to be anxious about them and their future all the time. We need to trust God with them. He loves them more than we do anyway. Whenever we feel anxious about kids, pray about it. Pray about it. Like, that's the biblical remedy for anxiety anyway. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray. I would especially urge this for you if you have children who have walked away from the Lord. Whenever you're anxious about that, pray. Pray. You're not sovereign over them, but there is one who is. Tim Keller says, Thriving, happy children are God's doing. Unless the Lord enters their lives, all our watching is in vain. Giving our children to God is the only way we get to keep them. When verse 4 says that children are like arrows in a warrior's hands, it's a vivid picture that shows how children can fly wherever their parents cannot, or where their parents cannot. Like a parent, if you think, can only be in one place at one time and will one day die. But children can multiply a family's influence and legacy long after we're gone. And this reiterates how much of a a long-term blessing children can be. In verse 5, it says that if we fill our quiver, that's an arrow holder, Okay, with, if we fill our quiver with children, we're blessed. Now, that is not a command to have as many kids as you can, by the way. But as a proverb, it says that it's a blessing if you do. You're blessed beyond measure. Now, I don't have time to go into depth on that topic today, but I'll just say this. If you choose to limit how many kids you have, you make that as a choice, make sure you're not doing so for worldly or selfish reasons. Okay, I believe there can be wise reasons to, to limit or stop having children, but them being too much of a burden or too expensive or not convenient for your work, those aren't them. Again, the the bottom line question is, are we trusting God with our family planning? Are we trusting him? Charles Spurgeon tells the story that once a, a a rich man came to his house and saw all of his kids and blurted out, these are they that make rich men poor. To which Spurgeon quickly retorted, no, my Lord, these are they that make a poor man rich. 
For there is not one of these whom we would part with for all your wealth. That's true. The last sentence here in Psalm 127. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. is talking about kids standing up for their dad. So it's essentially a picture of a father who's being sued or tried in court. And that happened at the city gates. And his children being the best character witnesses for him. Again, it's just the point that godly children can be a long-term blessing for their parents. Now, in a minute, we'll teach you this song based on this psalm. It's fairly different than most of the songs we sing. And so I, I, you might wonder why I chose this one. It's actually an exact quotation of Psalm 127. So as you learn it, you'll memorize it. It's great. But as we've seen, this psalm reminds us of who we need to trust in all areas of our lives, right? It addresses very real and stressful issues in our lives, and it points us to God in the midst of them, reminds us of his part. That's what we're singing. Not every line will apply directly to you, and that's okay. Right? We're part of a family. We can sing this to and for the rest of our family. But it can really, I think, reorient all of us away from the worldly ideas that we've bought into. This is God's word. This is what we must shape our lives around. Unless the Lord, unless the Lord, without the Lord, we are helpless. So, Thank God that we are not without the Lord. <laughs> I've got two basic questions to leave you just pondering with. Okay? If everything in our lives depends not on our labors, but on the Lord's love, number one, are you okay with that? And two, Will you trust him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we lay our lives at your feet today. I pray that each heart here truly would reach that place of trusting you with their whole life, their whole heart, their whole dreams and passions and plans we lay them at your feet and say, have your way with us. May your will be done in us and through us. Lord, you're so good. You've blessed us in so many ways. May we see those blessings today and give you the praise and honor that you're due. In Jesus' name, amen.